My name's Kevin Twitt. I have been working with students here at Belmont for 13 years now. And uh, one of the things that RUF is committed to is helping people think about Christianity and how it connects to all of life. We think that's important for Christians. We think that's important for any educated person to understand what Christianity is about. And unfortunately, as you know, in the South, there's a lot of misunderstandings about what Christianity really is. Um, Flannery O'Connor talked about the South being haunted by Christ. Christ haunted rather than being Christian. And so um, we always think it's, it's a valid thing to have these convos to be able to talk about what Christianity is and particularly how it connects to um, issues that concern everybody. And this issue of pluralism is a, a, very important, a very important topic. And I will tell you right off the bat, I am a Christian. I believe the Bible is true in what it says. But I know that not everybody in this room is a Christian. Yet I still think it's helpful to speak from the vantage point of Christianity about issues such as pluralism. I think it's helpful for Christians. And I think it's very helpful for people who aren't Christians to listen in on what Christianity says about this. Okay? So that's, that's where I'm coming from. I don't, I don't assume that you guys are Christians by any means. But I think that that the issue of pluralism and the issue of tolerance in our world will benefit from Christians understanding better what Christianity has to say about this. And you'll see um, by the end of this talk, I hope, that I believe that Christianity offers unique resources for loving people we disagree with. And so I, I think it's important. In essence, what I'm going to argue is that while the prevailing idea of our culture seems to be that the best way to get along with people you disagree with is to be a less fervent believer in what you believe, I actually would argue that um, Christians need a more, a more fervent belief in Christianity and what it teaches to actually get along with people with whom they disagree. Um, so let's, let's launch into this. What is religious pluralism? Religious pluralism is basically a theory or an interpretation of religion that is hoped or assumed or argued will generate an attitude of tolerance toward all religions. So it's a theory or an interpretation of religions. We look around the world and we find that there are varying religious faiths. There are even some faiths that don't consider themselves faiths, like um, the belief in science or the belief in progress. And yet I would argue that actually man is inescapably religious. And even the things that we say are not religions are really held with the, um, with the fervor of a religious belief. And some of the, the recent books on atheism, I think, go to, to prove that point. Um, people writing, the, writing some of these books, like Dawkins and some of these other folks of late, um, certainly um, are very evangelistic about their views. Um, and that's okay. That, that's reality. We live in a world in which there are varying religious faiths. And these religious faiths disagree with one another over some really important issues. And so the fact is, we live in a world that is pluralistic. But what I'm going to talk about tonight is basically, or tonight, today, is what do we do about that? And there have been, there's basically been advanced an idea that's pretty popular in our culture about how we should respond to that. And it, it basically uh, says this, you should be tolerant of all religions, and there's some different um, illustrations that are often used to argue for this point. One of them is the, the illustration of the blind man and the elephant. 
um, the blind man and the elephant. Um, I think it was Kipling that, that talks about this. Um, he, 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 you know, pictures a, um, a sultan over in India who is responding to a person who's trying to talk to him about Christianity. And he responds by telling this story. He says, imagine there are five blind men walking down the road in India and they come upon an elephant. And one guy grabs a hold of the trunk and says, oh, we found a snake. Another guy grabs one of the legs and says, oh, we found a, found a tree, a trunk of a tree. Another guy comes up against the side of the elephant and thinks that they've hit a wall. And the, the, the guy goes on and says, all the various religions of the world each have a part of this elephant. But they're really blind and they don't really understand what it is that they've come upon. I don't know if you've ever heard that illustration, but that's often used to say the religions of the world need to be more humble. None of them really understands all of the truth. They each have a part of it. And the problem is they each assume that they understand the whole thing. Um, There's another illustration that's talked about sometimes, which is the multiple paths up the mountain. And it's this idea that that, that God, is, or whatever we define as kind of the ultimate destination or goal for humanity, is at the top of this mountain, per se. And there are all these various paths up the mountain. There's one called Hinduism, there's one called Buddhism, there's one called Christianity, there's one called Islam, etc. And all of the paths are different paths, but they get to the same goal. They all go up the mountain. And, and so these kind of stories are, t- are told... Um, to help us understand that really what is needed is for the various world religions to, to be more humble and to not believe that they are the sole possessors of truth. And uh, my, a friend of mine, Jeremy Jones, puts it this way. If there are many ways to find God or ways of salvation, then Christianity is only one among many valid ones. Therefore, and this is important, you should not try to convert others or insist that your beliefs are true and theirs are not. In other words, nobody knows which religion is right, so be accepting of all of them. Now, wh- why, why is this a popular idea? I, I think that this, this idea has gained in popularity recently. And I think one of the reasons is because we live in a world in which postmodern skepticism about truth is really the air that we breathe. You, you know, it, I know a lot of you guys are in freshman seminar where you're going to be talking about how do you know what you know. It's a very important question. I think it's probably one of the most important questions you can ask in this day and age and one of the most important questions you can ask in college. Um, actually, I'm going to have the privilege to, to lecture in one of those classes on, on this, this topic of how do we know what we know and what's the Christian view on that sort of thing. And, and here's, here's the thing. In the past, if you go back far enough, the traditional, particularly religious answer to that question was you know what you know because you believe what the gods or God has said in the religious books. And that's true not just of Christianity, but of other world religions. That there are books that are revelation from God or the gods, and you know what you know because you believe what they say. That would be a traditional answer to the question of how do you know what you know. Uh, during the time of the Enlightenment, a new answer began to be proposed to that question, which is you know what you know because of the scientific method. That you have to analyze or sift through all these various truth claims, and yet the way that you're going to settle the question of which one is right is by the scientific method. It's what you can taste, touch, smell, or see. And that idea has prevailed for a long time in our culture. But recently, it's really come under attack. 
Um, in, in, in postmodernism, which whether you know, you've read books on postmodernism or not, it really is in the air that you breathe, in the air that I breathe. Postmodernism seriously doubts and is skeptical of whether there is one overarching truth, one overarching story. Rather, there are various stories. Each culture, each people group has its own story, its own idea about truth. And th there really is no way to settle the question of which one is right. And in fact, none of them are right. But they're right for the particular people that hold them. And so one of the things that's really almost impossible to say without people thinking you're strange in our culture is that I believe in truth in such a way that it's the overarching truth that can sit in judgment upon other truths. That's a very, that's a very difficult thing for people to hold. I don't know if you realize this or not. And again, I'm talking to Christians who I think are often naive about this. Um, but there are certain beliefs in our culture and, and, you know, I'm not just saying people who are outside of Christianity. People who are Christians live in the culture, too. So they believe these things, basically. Uh, there are certain ideas which are held to, often without being seriously analyzed philosophically, but they're held to. And these beliefs make Christianity, belief in Christianity, absurd. Now, it would be like if I told you that when I got up this morning, I looked out in my backyard, and I saw a fire-breathing dragon... I don't think there's anybody in this room that's going to ask me, really, what color? <laughs> it's not worth pursuing that discussion. It's absurd. It can't possibly be true. And there are beliefs, you might call them defeater beliefs, that are held by many people in our culture that render the idea that Christianity could be true, they render it absurd and not worth even considering. This postmodern skepticism about big T truth is one of those ideas. In other words, for many people, not just because of what they've, what they've heard and what they've said, but even from what they've experienced, particularly from people who call themselves Christians, who are very intolerant and very arrogant people, so many people in our culture, if you say to them, I'm a Christian, would you like to be a Christian? What they're thinking is, why would I want to become an intolerant, racist bigot? <laughs> what? That's absurd. The goal of life is to become more tolerant and more loving, and Christianity seems to do just the opposite. So why in the world would I want to become a Christian? See, there, there really is a skepticism or the sense that from, from our experience, it seems that the more strongly you believe in Christianity, the less tolerant you are. And so that, you know, that, comes, that, that experience connects with sort of a philosophical idea that's very popular in our culture, which is nobody knows the truth. Therefore, the most dangerous people are fundamentalists of whatever stripe, right? Uh, there was a rabbi interviewed on one of the news shows soon after 9-11, and um, you know, he basically summarized this idea. He said, religion drove those planes into those buildings. What the world needs less of is fundamentalism of whatever stripe, Okay? And so in a world where there are various views of religion and conflict over religions, it seems that the only hope for getting along is to believe less fervently in the religion that you hold to. Uh, again, I, I think a friend of mine um, summarizes this well when he says, the reason that religions fight, this is the, what a lot of people believe, the reason that religions fight is because they both think they're right and the other is wrong. The only way we can stop fighting is to stop insisting our religious beliefs are more right than someone else's. Admit no one can know which religion is right and accept that all religions lead to God. 
To have tolerance, you have to give up absolute truth. Remember a few years ago here at Belmont, um, giving a talk. It was actually just a time when people could come ask questions about whatever they wanted, um, which I'll give a little plug. We're going to do that sort of thing again with RUF. Um, start having a fairly regular event we'll call Questioning the Faith, where you can come and just ask questions. Because for too long, the church has been a place where questions really were suppressed rather than welcomed. We don't believe that God is threatened by our questions, um, so we want to have an opportunity to do that. But um, I did one of these a few years ago, and I remember one of the students got really upset with me when he, dis- when he figured out that I was saying that there is such a thing as absolute truth. And I'll never forget, he got really, really fired up, and he said, even when I was a blankety-blank Baptist when I was six years old, I would never say anybody was wrong about anything. And I asked him, I said, well, do you think I'm wrong? And he said, you're unenlightened. <laughs> and I said to him, that's an artful dodge. You think I'm wrong? And he said, you're right, I do think you're wrong. I said, great, okay, at least we can be honest and have a conversation now. See, one of the, one of the problems is we basically... We basically all think we're right. See, here's, here's the problem. There is a theoretical, philosophical problem with religious pluralism. The belief that says nobody is right, that all religions are different paths that lead up the mountain, is itself a religious belief. In other words, religious pluralism argues that no one can claim to have more, more truth about religion than any other one. Except religious pluralism claims to be the religion, the religious idea that knows the truth. Think about those analogies of the five blind men of India. It seems to be arguing for humility and the fact that nobody really knows the truth. We all have a piece of it. But the sultan who tells the story assumes what? That his eyes are open. And that he can see which part of the truth each of these various religions have. The story of the multiple paths up the mountain that all lead to God, the person telling that story or believing that analogy assumes that they have a vantage point from which they can see the mountain. That they're not like the rest of us mere mortals who are stuck on one of those paths. So, do you see what I'm saying? Is the absolute truth that there is no absolute truth is really kind of a ridiculous statement. And yet the fact is... Most people do not believe in religious pluralism because it makes philosophical sense. And this is what I think a lot of Christians don't get. They think that if they merely argue with people and show them that that idea is absurd, that of course these people will be won over. But the fact is, most people believe in religious pluralism because they have to. It's the only hope they believe for tolerance in a world in which people fight so much about religions. But you need to get this first point. There is a theoretical problem with religious pluralism. It's this. Religious pluralism is extremely intolerant of people who don't believe in religious pluralism. Does that make sense? Try, you know, the only thing that will get you in trouble on a college campus is to say that somebody is wrong. And yet, and yet, religious pluralists are saying that everybody's wrong except the religious pluralists. So that doesn't really make any sense, does it? Not only that, but you know, people that have thought about this in our world, people who aren't Christians by any means, understand this. 
Um, I found this very interesting. I don't know if you know this or not. But the United Nations Declaration on Human Rights, Article 18, says this. Everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. This right includes freedom to change his religion or belief, and freedom either alone or in community with others, and in public or private, to manifest his religion or belief in teaching, practice, worship, and observance. Even the United Nations says that everybody has a right to believe their truth. But religious pluralism says, no, there is one group of people who are not entitled to believe their religious view. And that's people who think their religion is the only right religion. So do you see the tension with that? It may sound good at first, the idea that all religions basically are getting you to the same path, uh, getting you to the same destination, different paths. But the people who say that think that, obviously, they're the only ones who are right. And I find that people, it's deeply offensive, not just to Christians, but to Buddhists and to Muslims and to Jews, to say that your religious beliefs really are the same as everybody else's religious beliefs. There's no, you know, serious follower of any of the world religions that really believes in what the tenets of those religions say and also believes that they're basically all saying the same thing. Let me give you an example. The Buddhist idea of the goal of humanity is basically to lose your sense of identity and personality, to be absorbed into the oneness that is all of reality, this spiritual oneness, right? This idea. That's very, very different than the Christian idea of heaven. The Christian idea of heaven is that you will remain forever in all eternity a particular person with an identity. You will never be a non-person. Those are very different things. One, one says the goal is to lose your personhood. The other one says the goal is to have your personhood finally consummated in who it was really meant to be. Now, I don't, you know, now one of those may be right. They both may be wrong. But they can't both be right because they're really not saying the same thing. Okay? And you can find that over and over again as you actually examine the various Religion. So, theoretically, religious pluralism doesn't really make any sense. And practically, there are some serious problems with religious pluralism as well. Let me say this, a couple things about this. When you hold to religious pluralism, the idea that, that the only absolute truth is there is no absolute truth, you really lose your ability to say that anybody is wrong. Again, you would end up saying people are wrong all the time, people that think they're right. But really, practically, it bothers you to say that people are wrong because you don't think you really have the right to do that. That presents deep problems with living in a world with other people. I love this quote from Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. found this in Rolling Stone. Um, This is right after the Columbine shootings. And he said this, I've always said, based on my own head, give people the benefit of the doubt. Give them credit to think for themselves. Nobody has the right to say, hey, I'm telling you what you can and cannot see because I know better than you. That's ridiculous. I feel, yeah, empower the individual. Then I turn on the news and you see some new idiot who kills kids in a church and my argument goes out the window. It's troubling. See, you you can't live in a world without saying that that's wrong. You have to be able to say that there are some things wrong. A friend of mine who used to do RUF over at Vanderbilt used to put it this way. If you're a religious, religious pluralist, then what you're really saying is it's equally valid to have your in-laws over for dinner as it is to have them for dinner. 
that you can't really distinguish between either of those as one being moral and the other not. And people say all the time, well, I think the only ultimate value is that you just shouldn't hurt anybody. But what if your value is hurting people? Who has the right to tell you that that's not right? And of course, what hurts people and what doesn't hurt people is always rooted in what you thought, think humanity was made for and what the goal of humanity is. You see, you can't get away from big picture beliefs. And when you have this big picture belief that nobody can be wrong, it really makes it difficult to live in a community. And of course, nobody really believes that all truths are equally valid. Nobody believes that way. You can't possibly live that way. Not only that, I think that it leaves us feeling incredibly empty. Who here is thrilled at the idea of being tolerated? I mean, our culture thinks that the highest goal that we can hope for is tolerance of each other. I don't know about you, that doesn't give me warm fuzzies. (laughs) I really hope for a lot more from people than just to be merely tolerated. Not only that, but this kind of idea about you know, everybody basically believes the same thing, is incredibly demeaning to what people actually believe. It basically says, I don't really care what you think you believe, which is to say, I don't really care what at the core of your being really makes you tick. I don't care really what you think about the world and about the big questions about life. Whatever you say doesn't really matter. You're just like everybody else. You see, it's, it's really empty. We want to be loved. We don't want to just be tolerated. I don't think tolerance, the idea of tolerance, really satisfies anybody. And yet the fact is, you can turn the paper over if you're kind of following this little outline. The fact is, I'm speaking to Christians here particularly, you could argue those first two points. You could meet somebody, maybe your roommate, who says, yeah, I don't believe there's any any absolute truth. I think all various religions are of different ways to get to to God, as long as you're a good person, doesn't matter what you believe, which of course is a way of saying what matters is that you're a good person. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters what you do. Um, I don't know about you, but there's not very many people who are going to be encouraged by that proposal. Remember years ago, um, John McEnroe had a, had a talk show on late night TV. Anybody remember the John McEnroe show? Didn't last very long. <laughs> Didn't last very long. Um, but I remember one of, the, one, of the, one of the few days that his show was on, he had Sting on there. And they got to talking about religion and about God and transcendence. And Sting made this comment. He said, basically for me, I find God in two places, in sex and in music. And, and it was really interesting. This was right after in Rolling Stone magazine, he talked about how he can sustain an orgasm for, you know, eight hours through some of his tantric um, practices. You know, so I, always, I can't ever not think of that when I see these you know, um, commercials for Viagra and if you have an erection that lasts for more than four hours, you need to seek immediate medical attention. Don't you just cry, don't I crack you up? But I remember, you know, he, he had just said this in Rolling Stone. It got a lot of publicity. Okay? People were just like, you know, whoa. and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, if you're Sting, then maybe the idea that you touch God through sex and through music is a cool thing. Because, you know, gosh, he's sting. But what about the rest of us? If the way that you touch God is through sex and through music, what happens if you're not very good at either one? (laughs) Right? And so ultimately this idea that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're a good person, it's it's really a recipe for despair 
for most of the people in the world who don't even measure up to their idea of what goodness is. And thus, it ends up being very exclusive. It seems so open-minded, but it ends up excluding everybody who's not good. And yet, again, this isn't probably going to work in convincing very many people in our culture. Why? Because most people believe in religious pluralism because, in their experience, it seems the only hope, the only hope for getting along with people. Because in their experience, now you know, almost every single person at Belmont has rubbed shoulders with Christians. Most every person here actually has probably went to church a good bit in their life. And most everybody here has had bad experiences with Christians. Right? If you're a freshman, this should not, you know, maybe this is a shock to you. Um, if you've been here more than a month, it won't be a shock to you. That, that's true. Everybody here has had experience with Christians, and most of them have had bad experiences with Christians who are intolerant and arrogant. And so the, the thing is, people say, you know, my experience is the last thing we need is more people who think they're right. But again, you know, what people don't understand is everybody makes absolute truth claims. Everybody makes absolute truth claims. Christianity does claim to be absolute truth and truth that's true for all people. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I know people try to twist his words and make it seem like, well, some people come to God through Jesus without knowing they come through Jesus. Clearly doesn't seem to be his intent in that passage. So you have to do something with that if you're a Christian. But here's the thing you need to understand. Everybody makes absolute truth claims. Therefore, the problem of arrogance and intolerance is everybody's problem. There are some people who, I guess we would call them overt absolutionists. They're very upfront and bold about the fact that they believe that there's absolute truth and that some people are wrong. There's what we call absolute, you know, overt absolutionists. But there are a lot of people who are covert absolutists. They believe that their truth is right, but they pretend, or maybe they're deceived into thinking that they don't really believe they have the only truth that's right, right? In other words, relativism is an illusion. Nobody is a complete relativist. Thus, everybody has to deal with the problem of how to tolerate those with whom we disagree. Uh, A friend of mine likes to say, you can't doubt everything all at once. You have to stand somewhere to doubt. There's something that you believe is true that causes you to doubt other things. Maybe it's your experience that you don't question. Maybe it's the religious truths that have been handed down to you through your family that you don't question. Maybe it's your logic that you don't question. Maybe it's your gut feeling. I don't know what it is. There's something that you're counting on. And of course, the thing that you're counting on is the thing that makes you feel superior to everybody else. Now, this is true of Christians as well, unfortunately. I think it's incompatible with Christianity. And yet the fact is, way too many Christians think that the reason they're a Christian is because they're smarter than other people or more courageous than other people. Now, I'll bet most of the non-Christians in this room have picked up on that. (laughs) But I find a lot of the Christians are pretty naive about that. But most Christians that I talk to, 
if you press them and say, why is it that you're a Christian? Ultimately, they'll say, well, it's because I made a decision, which is their way of saying, I was either smarter than other people that didn't see the truth and make this decision, or I was more courageous than other people. I was willing to pay the cost to make this decision. And I would argue that that is incompatible with what Christianity says. And it also is, is deeply troubling and, and, and leads really to this problem of intolerance. If you are a Christian and you don't understand why you're a Christian, then you can't help but be intolerant of other people. Because the thing that you're counting on, the thing that you think makes you better than anybody else, is really the vantage point from which you look down upon everybody else. But what does Christianity actually teach? See, Christianity offers an answer to the problem of intolerance and arrogance. And this is why I argue that ultimately what Christians need to understand is if you believed what Christianity really teaches, it would go a long way towards helping you love people with whom you disagree. Because Christ offers truth without superiority and salvation without superiority. Here's the way it works. You see, think back again to that story of the pass up the mountain and the idea you know, that somebody has this vantage point to see what's going on. It's not the five blind men, but somebody has a vantage point. What Christianity says and what Christianity claims is that God has that vantage point. And that God, through his word, has revealed to us graciously what part of the truth we have. The Bible claims, and Christians believe, that the Bible speaks truly, but not that the Bible speaks exhaustively. We believe that the Bible speaks truly, but it doesn't speak exhaustively. It doesn't tell us everything there is to know, but it does speak truly to us. And yet, it's interesting, when you look at what the Bible has to say about truth, it does not reduce truth to propositional statements that you hold. Though propositional treatments are part of it, ultimately, truth, as Christianity defines it, is found in a person. The reason that that's important for Christians to understand is that Christianity offers you confidence rather than certainty. Now, that's actually a pretty threatening idea to a lot of Christians. Uh, I put down here a book, if you're interested in exploring this a little more, there's a a lady named Esther Meek, M-E-E-K, wrote a book called Longing to Know. You can go to longingtoknow.com and explore her ideas about this. I actually know some of the freshman seminar classes are using that book. Um, What she argues there is that there is nothing that you believe that can't be doubted. Even Christianity, even if you're a believer in Christ, your belief in Christ is not based upon the sort of indisputable evidence that can't be doubted. The reason you're a Christian, ultimately, the Bible says, is because God took the good evidences and made them convincing to you took away your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. The reason that people are Christians, the Bible says, is because God graciously opened their eyes and moved their heart to believe. Therefore, you cannot pat yourself on the back 
If you're a Christian and say, well, the reason I'm a Christian is because I was smarter or more courageous than anybody else. No, if you're a Christian, the Bible says the most important thing for you to understand is you're a Christian by grace. And not only that, but you're still somebody who is broken and weak, who doesn't really get and hold to all the truth there is to hold to. As a matter of fact, some people ask sometimes, what does it mean? What does Reformed University Fellowship mean? That word reformed speaks of the Reformation, which was a pretty significant um, social upheaval in the history of our world. And one of the cries and mottos of the Reformation is that everybody needs to continually be reformed. That nobody has so arrived that they don't continually need to be reformed by God and His Word and the truth. That Christians are not people who have so arrived that they have no growing to do. And so the, the reform, reformers used to talk about we are reformed, but always reforming. I hope that will always mark the people who are part of RUF. I hope it will always mark me. I, I have confidence in the truth. One of the ways that C.S. Lewis put it one time is he said, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun. Not just because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. In other words, I believe in Christianity because as I continue to walk as a Christian, it continually seems to lead me to more and more truth. It's not because it can't be doubted. Of course it can be doubted. Even if it's true, it can be doubted. I have confidence, but not certainty. And yet there is always a personal risk to belief. One of the great lies of the Enlightenment was to tell you that you can so understand truth or so see through lies that you can always be sure that when you put your trust in something, that you'll never be led astray. I think it's why cynicism is such a, a, um, a popular choice for how we go about living in the world. We, we believe that we can sort of stand on the sidelines and evaluate all these competing truth claims until we're sure which one is right and then we're going to jump in. But let me tell you, you will never know what it's like to be married by dating. Christianity says that you can't know what it's like to be a Christian by standing on the sidelines. Jesus says you will know the truth by doing the truth. Christianity says if you're a Christian, you can have confidence but not certainty. And you should always have humility because the truth chose you. Second, Christianity offers salvation without superiority. I think it's interesting to contrast the last words of Jesus with the last words of the Buddha. Do you know the last words of the Buddha? He said, never cease striving. What are Jesus' last words? It is finished. These are hugely different things. And yet, when I talk to Christians, people who've been brought up in churches, I find most of the time they believe that Jesus' last words were never cease striving. Because they basically live Christianity like it's all up to them. That there are certain hoops they need to jump through, either to get God to like them in the first place or to keep God liking them. And again, they, they, go, they sort of go up and down depending on how well they think they're doing. They're either incredibly arrogant or incredibly depressed. But what Christianity actually teaches is that the reason you're a Christian is not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did. I love these, these words. I find them very revealing from Alanis Morissette. Again, from that Christianity, or, uh, Rolling Stone issue. It was kind of a um, millennium, turn of the millennium issue. It was really fascinating. They had all kinds of people talking about 
their beliefs and about what they think life is about. And she said this. She goes, I realize that God has no preference about how we live our lives. I don't think God prefers one choice over another. He or she or it notes rather than judges. Once I realized that, notice this, once I realized that, she says, it immediately made me feel more responsible for my own life. If God doesn't judge us, all of a sudden it puts the onus on us humans. We are the creative force. We're creating what our world looks like right now and will look like down the road. Gosh, if you believe that, I don't know how you get up in the morning. (laughs) Because you can't bear the weight of that. Honestly. A lot of you guys, you know, while you're in college, you have to work jobs that are really boring because you're so overqualified for them. (laughs) You know, you're flipping hamburgers or waiting on tables or doing silly retail jobs. And and you're just just bored to death because you were made for more than this. And yet, I'll tell you what. It's one thing to be bored at work. It's another thing to have to go into work every day and know that you can't possibly do the job. That's death. And what Christianity says, if you believe that it's up to you to create reality, that's death. It's death. See, Christianity says it's not up to you. If you're a Christian, it's because the truth has grabbed hold of you, opened your eyes, taken away your heart of stone, and given you a heart of flesh. It's because Jesus opened your eyes to see him as more beautiful and believable. It's not because you've been able to analyze every religion and figure out why they're all wrong. As a matter of fact, Christians have doubts all the time. It always amazes me how often I meet with Christians who struggle with doubts and wonder whether or not they can be Christians. And I say, well, have you ever read the Psalms? The Psalms are full of doubts and full of questions and full of people saying, God, where are you? I'm not sure you're even real. Look at the way the world is. There's all kinds of of evidence to the fact that you aren't in charge of the world or you're not good or you just don't get what's going on to me. You don't care about me. the, The Psalms are filled with that kind of thing. I think one of the biggest problems is that Christians have a very wrong expectation about what being a Christian feels like. Christianity is not teaching that it's up to you to create what this world looks like. Now, personal responsibility has a role to play. I don't have time to go into all the the details and nuances of that. But it's so important that you understand if you're a Christian, it's not because of what you did or because of what you know. Therefore, you can look at other people not by looking down upon them, but by saying, there but for the grace of God go I. And not, again, you can say that sort of as a tired old cliche, but what Christianity rightly understood says is that is absolutely true. And if you're a Christian, you need to thank God every day for the grace of God that has changed you. In other words, you can have certainty because your salvation is up to Jesus, not you, and you can have humility because you should have humility because your salvation is up to Jesus, not you. Thus, Christianity, see, is so much more than being about tolerance. Christianity actually should give you the resources to consider other people better than yourself. Because if you're a Christian, one of the things that, you know, there's a point in in the, the Old Testament where God says to his people Israel, he says, 
I didn't choose you because you were the most numerous of peoples or the most faithful of peoples. As a matter of fact, I chose you because you were the most stiff-necked and the smallest of peoples. And that, that theme runs all through the Bible. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, not many of you were chosen because you were powerful or influential in the world. Rather, God chose the nothings to shame the wise. In other words, if you're a Christian, it means that you're a nothing and you're a nobody who's, who's had God set his love upon you. That really changes the way you look at other people, if you actually believe that. The problem is most Christians don't believe that. They believe the reason they're a Christian is because they're somebody, because God looked at them and said, man, I really need that person on my team. Boy, I'd be so blessed to have that person be in my kingdom. Boy, oh, pretty, pretty please. Won't you please open your heart to me? See, if you think that you did God a favor by opening your heart to him, there's no way that you cannot look upon everybody else and consider yourself superior to them. But that is absolutely antithetical to what Christianity believes. And you need to repent and you need to believe. And if you're not a Christian, I apologize on behalf of Christians for how poorly we believe and live what the faith actually teaches us. Last, last point. Remember this, Christians. Jesus died rather than exclude his first century enemies. How do you deal with your enemies? And, and we can, you know, pretend that people aren't our enemies. We can pretend that we just have superficial disagreements with people. But the reality is we have enemies. There are people that we despise. And it's, it's important to remember that Jesus died rather than exclude his first century enemies and tells us to live that way. Not only that, Jesus died rather than exclude his 21st century enemies, which are all the Christians in this world. The Bible clearly says that while we were yet sinners, while we were at enmity, at warfare with God, Christ died for us. Do you believe that? If you believe that, it changes everything. Uh, close with this quote, which I found really fascinating. It's from one of the officials, um, spokesman for the PLO, Palestine Liberation Organization, right? Which is ostensibly a, a Christian group in a lot of ways. You know a lot of the Palestinians are Christians, don't you? Um, this guy was talking about the, the problem between the Jews and the Palestinians. And listen to this thing he says. He says, the break will not come in this tension. And this is the main point, unless somehow the Palestinians manage to develop a new pattern of thinking, a new state of mind among themselves and the way they act toward the Israelis, the Palestinians have to resurrect the spirit of Christ to absorb the sense of pain and insult they feel and control it and not let it determine the way they act toward Israel. Hear what he's saying? He's saying the Palestinians need to actually take to heart what Christianity says, that what Christianity teaches is the way tolerance and peace will spread in our world is for Christians to absorb the pain and the hurt and lay it upon the, the shoulders of Jesus rather than having to seek revenge themselves, rather than having to seek power themselves. And so, as I say, the key to getting along is not less fervent belief in Christianity, but actually believing what it says and teaches. Thank you. Let's, we have a couple minutes for some, for some questions or thoughts or feedback on that. Anybody? I have to keep you here five more minutes, so might as well have a question or two. Yeah. Um, okay. I know that was a lot of, lot of stuff to dump yeah, on you. I'm trying to figure out what I want to ask. Um, 
just that none of us can fully grasp the absolute truth. And that's why it's not about like just tolerance, I think. It's about learning from other individuals, right. accepting their you know, faiths and learning from them. I mean, there's so many parallels between these religions mm -hmm. and places where they come together on point of views of God. And if, if God I, is that top I'd argue mountain, against that, but... If God is that top of the mountain, yeah. you know, then it's our perspective from different vantage points yes. are going to help broaden our perspective mm -hmm. and, and you know, see more yeah. of the truth. There's a sense in which I agree with you and a sense in which I disagree. So just you know, for the sake of honest discussion, let me tell you my response to that. I think that it's true because all people have been made in the image of God. As a, as a Christian, I believe that nobody is without a sense of some truth. And if you were here at my convo on Friday, you heard me talk about that very thing. Um, but that's different. Still what I detect in what you're saying is an absolute true statement. You are making an absolute true statement, but you're saying, if you're saying that we should be able to learn from people who see things differently, absolutely. But I, I don't think that it's true to say that there is a significant degree of compatibility in the different views of God among the religions. There's huge disconnects. The only way you can do that is if you, you know, basically vacate Christianity, Judaism, and Islam of what they really believe and turn them into sort of a religion that basically says, as long as you follow the golden rule, which there is some overlap with what the golden rule is. So morally, there are a lot of similarities. But as far as the conception of God, huge disconnects. Very different idea to say, you know, that there are, you know, in numerous numbers of gods, as Hinduism says. And, and yet, as Buddhism says, there's basically one God, but he's not personal. Well, Christianity says that God... Oh, right. Well, there's different, there's different, yeah, different facets, different forms of that, and they disagree even among themselves. But yet, that's very different than the personal idea of God. God is a person who can be known, who has personality. You don't have the idea of personal God in a lot of the, the Eastern religions. Those are very different concepts. I, I don't think it helps anybody to pretend that they basically are the same at their root. And I know that's not what you're saying. Can we learn from other religions? Certainly. Because I don't think... I don't think any human being is without echoes of what reality is, is, is all about. And so, but yet, everybody, to, to learn from those other religions, you, you are putting yourself in one tradition or one particular perspective that is your framework. You, you hold one of those, and then you try to learn from the others. And you may be holding religious pluralism, um, but, but I would argue that what you're saying doesn't do justice to Christianity um, as far as saying that it has a conception of God that's, that's compatible with uh, some of these other religions. I don't think that's true at all, at least taking it on its own terms. Now, you may say, well, Christianity is just wrong. And you may say these things are wrong. But you can't say they're both right. They're, they're really very, very different. Well, no, but they can both hold truths that are right. You know what I mean? Like, right. Because neither of them has complete control of the truth, Mm -hmm. We're not God. Mm -hmm. I'm not God. Right. You know, if that is truth with a capital T, yep. then there can be truth in both. Yes, certainly. And uh, like you heard, you might have heard me say Friday, Calvin used to talk about how all truth is God's truth. And he said that in the context of talking about pagan philosophers. But that's different than saying that none of them is really true, but they all have parts of the truth. Christianity disagrees with that idea. Anyway, hey, thanks. You all have been kind. I'll be here for a little bit if you want to continue to talk.